So with me today is Heather Lodgden, professor of art here at Kentucky Wesleyan College. Heather, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's get things started. Tell us about yourself, classes you teach, what brought you here maybe. Okay. So uh, currently I'm the Humanities Division Chair, and I just made full professor of art, which I'm very happy. Thank you for Congratulations. that. Congratulations. And I teach graphic design, art history, and studio art. So I'm an art nerd. I love everything art, a little bit too much, I think. And so... Um, I have a number of hours and experience in graphic design, which allows me to teach graphic design one all the way through five. And then I, um, I'm an exhibiting artist, so I had some paintings go overseas. I won an international special recognition award for my oil paintings. Um, I love doing illustrations, which is my background for my terminal degree. And um, I also love uh, prehistoric to contemporary art. I was very blessed through the CIC seminars to do some research on sublime painters at Yale University and um, the antiquities at the uh, Chicago University. It was wonderful. So art nerd, just love it all. Since childhood. Since childhood. Yeah, because uh, when I first, the first memory I have of Christmas is I just wanted art things Mm. and, and while everybody else was playing stuff, I would set up my art stuff, and then I had an advertising sign that I did, you know, for 25 cents, I'll make you a poster, you know, and of course my siblings never bought one, but I was always wanting to be an artist Mm -hmm. since day one, and never veered from that Mm -hmm. until uh, probably whenever I went to college. So I thought, there's no money in art, so I was looking at um, computer science, and programming was kind of boring to me. I needed something just a little bit more fun uh, that I thought, well, legal studies. And at that time, I was a legal secretary and going to court and helping him, uh, the attorney, prepare court material. I found out that it's boring too, and I needed something a little bit more fun. And while I was taking um, some undergraduate courses, um, I had to take a humanities course. I took Intro to Art. It was an art history-based course, but it had an art activity component. Mm. So I got to do a painting, mm. and my undergrad professor came up to me and said, Oh, you're an art major. I said, No, no, I'm not. I'm going to go. I'm going to go into hopefully be an attorney one day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, no, you're an art student. And I was like, no, I'm not, you know. And he's like, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be happy. And I went for it, and I've loved it ever since. It's opened so many doors, and I've been having fun. I think, I think what's, uh, you know, I think perplexing for people that aren't, artists or aren't artistically inclined is your proficiency um, and the proficiency of a lot of artists across different mediums. Yes. So pen and ink, oil painting, stained glass, carpentry. And you <laughs> yes. have all these things in your background and yes, your experiences. So, so you gravitate more towards which medium in particular? Oh, that's so hard. It's easier to say which medium do I not do mm. on a weekly basis, and that would probably be uh, 3D ceramics and sculpture. Mm-hmm. I'm not 
I'm not big on 3D, though I have a huge appreciation, and I love throwing pots. I love doing cool pots, but it's not my passion. Um, I cannot decide. One week I'll do an oil painting, an acrylic painting, a pen and ink. It might be a digital painting. It might be that I'm working on something for graphic design. Uh, I absolutely love doing stained glass. I love doing calligraphy. So it's it just taking photos and editing them. Right. I, I love doing that as well. So right. I, I'm an art nerd. Right. Literally, I, I love everything about art. Right. And as technology advances, as electronic mediums you know, uh, come more into more frequent use, you're just kind of extending your proficiencies yeah. into that realm. Well, um, I think at the time that I was going through um, college, my graphic design was going to make my money because we saw a huge decrease in, across the United States on um, traditional artwork. Mm. And there's a, it was harder to get backings for galleries to represent you, which was really big um, back in, like, Jackson Pollock's days. And so I knew that wasn't going to be easy for me. So graphic design made my money, and my fine art I was able to exhibit win awards, uh, and, and, and do that and just enjoy it while making money with graphic design. So it, it, and I think I still push that today with mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that and, and that is, that is changing. Um, yeah. obviously, you know, proficiency in graphic design, graphic mm-hmm. arts, multimedia production, they're all sort of parts to a whole and they are right. incredibly valuable in the marketplace right now. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. that really excites me at the, about the program could you say a little bit about the undergraduate program and some thoughts that you have for, for graduate programs here? Oh, yeah. So our undergraduate program, I think we are competitive with even the bigger universities. I made sure I did my research. I went and I saw their space. I talked to people. I really wanted um, this education to give our students a head up. Mm. And we started having people come to us when my majors were in about sophomore, junior level, and I knew we had to put it online so that they would finish up. Courtney Lassley uh, was a graduate of uh, graphic design. She was a great example. This is the reason why we put it online. She had a job opportunity and um, was not going to be able to make that long commute if she accepted it. And we really wanted her to accept it, but we wanted it online, uh, you know, put it online finish your degree, and now she went from graphic designer to co-owner. Now she owns the business. So we have we have undergraduate students that are just succeeding. They're going out there landing jobs in their field. We, uh, Andrew Morales was uh, um, a graduate, one of, one of my first ones, and he does interior design. So graphic design can split off in so many avenues, and I think that's where we're really lucky. Because it's going to appeal to a great many students. And there's flexibility. And they're able to adapt what they love and find that niche and venture off. If it's website, if it's photography, if it's interior design, if it's logos, t-shirts, whatever. And this is not a commercial for KWC, but the accessibility... (laughs) The accessibility here is, is, is hard yes. to ignore. It is. It is. And, you know, I have so many 
businesses, startup businesses mm-hmm. coming to us, wanting our students mm-hmm. to design and brand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great trade-off, a good partnership. It gives our students real world experience and then they get some professional level uh graphic design that they couldn't maybe have afford right and it's i think the the overall trend towards entrepreneurship um and intrapreneurship so Mm -hmm. even if you are part of an established organization you know having those abilities those proficiencies incredibly valuable so you know as someone who, who who owns own uh, own business you, yeah. you can speak to this as well but um you know it, whatever line of work and whatever you know market sector you're after to have the abilities and graphic designs and, and multimedia production and and how you put those to immediate use and say social, social media obviously web website design um you know it's incredibly valuable and the students here get you know, on the ground, immediate sort of interaction with, you know, a host of compelling technologies and, and exposure to, to things that I, I think would take significant amounts of time at other institutions. So. And I've heard non-majors tell mm-hmm. me that my classes are fun and they didn't realize how much they're learning because I do like to break down the software in a way that anybody can understand. And I think that's my strength. Um, so I kind of left um, graphic design to teach the software of graphic design and I've been really successful with that and and then I would flip flop and go back to okay now I'm going to do graphic design again while I'm teaching and I go back and forth and and it is flexible because it's a cross you know art touches everything mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you can't look around and not see art I mean we live it every day mm-hmm. it's a uh, you know you know psychology you're gonna have art therapy um you know, our history, of course, in history, uh, political science. I mean, it, it's all about fairness and justice and those historical paintings back that up. Uh, chemistry, the, um, you know, the reaction you get in a glaze with ceramics or mixing paint or even the line drawings that they need to do in, in there, um, even medical illustration and biology. So it touches every discipline that's here mm. at Kentucky Wesleyan College. Well, and it's that, that appreciation of those mediums mm-hmm. and appreciation of the process of art and appreciation of the value of art and the perspectives that arts teaches that is so valuable to the liberal arts education, the liberal experience. Um, I, I want you to say a little bit, just talk about uh, you know, how you cultivate appreciation in art among your students. I think through experience, Mm. I like to make them get in there and create. And if you're looking at the education and academic aspect of it um, on the the Bloom's Taxonomy, creation is the highest level of learning. And so when they can get in there and they're having fun creating stuff, and and we sneak in that learning, they don't even know how much Mm. they learn. Mm. I, I get a lot of emails after they leave wow, I didn't realize how much you taught me, or thank you for teaching me this. I didn't even realize you taught it to mm-hmm. me. And and they might not make the connection right then that they're learning, but um, the experience, the creation process, it's your brain is firing in places you just n- never knew about. And most artists, they have a lot more gray matter in, in, in the brain. And and they got a little cray cray in the brain too, though, and that's okay. We own that. We own that, and I think that's because we have too much empathy. 
Mm. Uh, we try to see all perspectives. We we are flexible. Mm. We're persistent, and we're self-critiquing. Mm. And that's just innate by nature. We critique ourselves, and we're able to um, push ourselves to think outside of the box, to be problem solvers. And so in our nature, uh, we might be a little bit reclusive, but we're just taking it all in. We mm. love too much, mm. everything that we see, and we can see the beauty in it, the aesthetic quality in it. And other things, so empathy, that's a really interesting mm-hmm. connection, um, the kind of empathic listening, the ability to sort of sense other people's emotions and draw yeah. those into your own work and obviously be uh, to affect and be affected by right. by other people. Also, it's, it's hard to ignore the relationship between nature and art. Yes. Sir. And I know you're a nature lover yourself, but that's also a quality that I see among you know, exceptional artists exactly. is that, that, you know, enduring connection with art. So where do you think that, that comes from and what, why is it important? It's a uh, very important. Most of the artwork from prehistoric times on the, on the cave, you know, you, we see identifying visual communication from the, the buffaloes that are on there. And, and it, we love to create art and nature. They go hand in hand. Um, and I think it's because there's that emotional attachment and everybody is on the same level. Once you get out in nature, it can instantly lift your your mood. It can make you happier. It, it can make you more aware. And so all of a sudden you're just feeling better and you bring in art and you capture that moment and you share that moment with someone. They can be very vulnerable. But it, it can be amazing, too, because you are showing someone your perspective, but they're also coming at you with their own perspective as the viewer. So I think it's very flexible. It's it's very much um, an inspiration. When we go out in, and we look at, especially the sublime painters, uh, which uh, Dr. Schmidt and I were talking about in his office the other day. I was looking at, at his beautiful paintings, uh, well, reproductions of the paintings on his his wall and anybody can appreciate it right it's so easy because we're visual and you have three seconds boom you understand it and so i think it's user friendly and i love love nature i'm i'm a farm girl everybody knows that and i love my animals i love being out in nature i love photographing and i love painting nature it's um it's just overall art and wellness it just mm. goes hand in hand mm-hmm. it's you know growing up in uh you know in the east and uh, uh, uh around brandywine and uh andrew wyatt is a you know just kind of an enduring presence around and, and going to his his gallery and you would you would see him every once in a while with a you know robe and slippers yeah walking among the collections but it's just it was so you know, bucolic yeah. and beautiful, and it's in and around creeks that sort of meander in the in the, in the woods, and yeah. and you can see the the sort of influences on his work, um, where oh, you yeah. can you can feel it. It feels there's a there's a potency to to art and its connection to his work in a way that um, you know I lack the uh, the uh, the you know the ability to articulate, mm-hmm. um, but it is profound and it's deeply mm-hmm. meaningful. And I, I wonder how much of that is is a sort of a taut emotion to recognize 
um, outside rather than, you know, uh, just something that's inborn and an appreciation that, that you have sort of innate to you. And, and I'm certainly not an artist, but I, you know, I respect and I, 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 I love, uh, exceptional art or, or art that I would, you know, deem as exceptional. And as I, you know, I don't, I'm not an art collector. Um, I do have some art, uh, a lot of reproductions of things. Right. And there's qualities that I, uh, that I look for and that I, that I gravitate towards. Um, and there is, you know, Andrew Wyatt's Christine, uh, Christina's oh, world. That's instance, a beautiful right? painting. I love that, that moment where mm. he was actually looking out his window and he had a neighbor who had, uh, health issues, mm. um, muscular issues. And, uh, she refused the, um, the wheelchair. Mm. And I find a really deep connection with that because in 2014, Right before I had my back surgery, I was in a wheelchair for several months and was unable to walk. And so I really navigate towards that painting. I did before, and then after, it was just an even stronger connection. And she would go everywhere um, and kind of scoot along, reaching Mm. out, Mm. and just to get where she needed. And you kind of have a sense of empathy for her because on one hand... um, I don't want to say pity, but you can feel that, wow, that mm. struggle. And on the other hand, you have to applaud her, right? Mm. Because it's like, wow, she's not going to give up. Mm. Um, funny, though, is uh, some of my research showed that uh, he actually used his wife for the torso up mm. um, as as a model. And, and I think that comes into play, too. Um, having a model there will cost money, and they don't. Set still, and they might not be a good model, but nature is always going to be a great model. Mm-hmm. And it's even though it's ever changing, if you look at Monet, mm-hmm. um, he wanted to capture that surface of ever changing light and the colors. And and he was forever after it. He would start three paintings at the same time. Mm-hmm. He'd paint really quick, really really fast, because he had to get it. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's ever changing, but still stable you know what to mm. expect mm. from from nature it can be powerful and scary yeah. and then it can be the most calm and serene so you kind of get everything with nature right. and you can you can venture out in so many different themes and as i and maybe we could you know just uh overlay this so people know what we're talking about but back to christina's world i mean your your yes. your empathetic connection to her and her state mm-hmm. um uh, you know, interesting, important, and not at all, you know, my, my take from it and my association, you know, with that. It's a very epic. I would love your perspective. Well, <laughs> it's not an educated one, but I mean, it's, it is interesting. It's a, it's a very epic as in really grandiose sort of idea that I see sort of conveyed. And I, not knowing the the deep contextual background, which I appreciate it. Thank you for that. Um, but it is, you know, it represents a kind of a longing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, a frustration or um, just a, you know, d- desire, I think, committed yeah. to that. And also it's it's faceless, right? Her back is mm-hmm. turned to, to the viewer. So you really, so it is, it is really everyone can be right. in that picture. And, and, uh, and you know, the, the setting itself is, is bare. I think there's two buildings, right. you know, farmhouse and maybe a barn in the distance too. So it's. But it's about that, you know, life is big and 
you know, what we face ahead of us is, yeah. <laughs> is, and, is big and, and formidable. And it speaks to the empathy, mm. right? Because you have to kind of be empathetic and want to, um, I guess, sympathize with that frustration that you talk about, mm. um, you know, her struggles there. And then it's kind of isolated as well, mm. um, which reminds me of like a Hopper painting. But and the, but you could kind of feel in that moment, you know, the wind blowing because mm. the direction mm. of the foliage mm. going on mm. and her trying to reach out and, mm-hmm. and keep the crawling going to get where she wants to. But it, it's interesting because you perceive it one way, I perceive it another way, and right. I think, wow, look at this strong woman going through her struggles and she's yeah. killing it right. and then somebody else is going to look at it a different yeah. way and that reminds me of Jasper Johns because mm. he did he did the same thing mm-hmm. um, and I'll just I'll throw out a couple other artists for you to comment on yeah. whether you're knowledgeable about their, their work or not Lionel Feninger is someone he's a cubist from the early 20th oh. century um, and uh, he was you know uh, American born but spent um, you know uh, a lifetime in Germany. He was a cartoonist. And then, so cubism, yes. um, can, can, I think elicit some of those same emotions, uh, because it is, it is, and I'm attracted to, to Feninger's works that are more sort of grandiose. um, uh, number of works, uh, that are, that are towns and plazas and, uh, cityscapes, um, and also churches, individual churches and cathedrals in mm-hmm. general too. And, and the shape of it, it it does it pulls something something out. Um, uh, Jonathan Register is someone else whose um, work is at the Chicago Museum of Fine Arts and uh, Nighthawk, I think, is so. It's a kind of a diner scene there, and there's I love it. Um, there's there's other works, but it's you know, and there's there's a kind of a loneliness and a desperation again in those works as well. And and I, and I think that's from the perspective of the artists, we tend to be lonely. Mm. And and I think it's because when we're working, we're working by ourselves. Mm. And that could take an immense amount of time being alone. And a lot of artists suffered, historical artists suffered from, you know, depression. So many of them. Mm. And it's probably because it's both awesome that you're creating but you're depressed because it doesn't bring you with people until after it's done and you're showing it. Mm. Um, so I think when we look at it, Edward Hopper and we see that kind of loneliness happen, uh, I believe maybe that's what the artist was feeling at that moment. We can't help mm. but put ourselves into it. Mm. And that's why we have such a deep connection with our art. And it's so hard to remove the emotional aspect of it. Hopper was very kind of an isolated person. He, we don't know that much about his personality. Um, he's a very private person, mm-hmm. and you kind of get that from his paintings. Mm-hmm. It can be a very quiet moment. It can mm-hmm. be a very um, you're not quite sure if you should be depressed or not. But I got to see Nighthawks, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm-hmm. and I bragged about it to all my students. And I make them, like, when people are showing slides of, of things, they come from a book. Mm. I like them to see me there in the moment. Mm. And so I'm taking selfies with my favorites. It was on my bucket list. I got to <laughs> see it. I bragged about it. It didn't, didn't like, the students weren't as excited as I thought they should have been. Right. But I still 
push it down their throats well, because and, it's a beautiful painting. You know, and this is this is why you have uh, you know benches and, and chairs in museums. They're meant to be studied. Right. Um, and and I so I went before I was an art student. I went to the art institute and I had you know this immense overwhelming wow this is all amazing and then I went to go learn about it and then I went back as a student and then I started getting the nitty-gritty of it like how are they using this stuff Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. why are they using this stuff and and then I go back as a graduate and, and a professor and I see it even differently and it you could go back and, and I try to tell my students, you know, your Friday night movies were the opening salon to go see a Cassade or a Cezanne. And they would go back and back and back to look at it. They didn't look at it one time and pass over it. it it's, it's meant to be seen multiple times, and you should get something out of it each and every time. It's, it's amazing kind of... Uh, it was the they were the superstars back then, mm. right? They had superstar Dolly, mm. uh, persistence of memory. You know, mm. he had superstar quality back then, and I think when students experience that, most of the time, if I have a, a topic uh, like a lesson plan on Caravaggio, we're going to use timberism. I'm going to say, go out there, turn off the lights. You know, just use a candle and capture something. Mm. You know, if we're, if we're going to look at a Syrah, you're going to go and do pointillism. Now, they're going to do it on 8 by 11. But after a little bit of doing this, 10 minutes go by, they're like, wow. Yeah. I was like, okay, now think. Did you see the scale? Mm. And this took many years for him. And they can start developing that appreciation. And my goal is is that five years from now, ten years from now, when they go out and they see a piece of work, they remember back to Kentucky Wesleyan College and that awful professor that made them tap, 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 <laughs> tap, <laughs> creating an artwork right. and, and, and really understanding that artist's experience, mm. how they create it and what went into it maybe appreciate it just a little bit more. Well, and I think, I think a lot of non-artists sort of look at the finished work and don't understand mm-hmm. the artistic process of so the respect um, and sort of the development of an idea. So, mm-hmm. you know, a sculpture or a piece of art. What, what artistic medium do you find the, the most frustrating to work in? Well, of course, the most frustrating for me would be 3D. Mm-hmm. And I tend to have um, great depth in my paintings, and yet I can't translate that into creating a 3D work. It's a, it's it's not fast enough for me. Like I, I keep failing at it, and mm. and it's okay for me to fail at 2D. Like if I'm doing a painting mm. and I just can't get that hand right, I will just keep working it because because I want to do that. My passion's there for it. Um, the frustration is so much with 3D work. And you really have to be good. You know, if you look at Michelangelo, Mm. man, he was just good because Mm. he could do the frescoes. He could do the 2D work. He could do the 3D work. And he he was a sculpture by by nature. And that's what he loved to do. That was where his passion was. He was miserable doing the frescoes, Mm. the Sixteen Chapel. He hated it, Mm. but he loved doing his sculpture. So I think every, every artist has that one medium that they struggle with and mm. mine would probably be some type of 
limestone um, stonework to do a sculpture with. I don't think I have the the back and the arm muscles to pull it off. Although I do think I have some guns from the farm. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but but you're saying you're suggesting that there's a there's a progression or at least uh, you know accumulation of different skills that in in Absolutely. inform other artistic mediums mm-hmm. and. and and the acceptance to fail. Mm. I mean, you have to fail. And that's one of the things I tell my students all the time. You know, you, when you started to learn how to walk, you didn't give up because you fell down. You got back up again. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're going to draw something today, and we're just going to draw something hideous, and it's going to be bad, and we're going to throw it away later. Mm-hmm. But let's just get something on the paper. Mm. And I want to de-stress them so that they – and they find that they – they actually do better than what they thought just by mm. trying. And so it, it's a lot of failure. I still fail. I still have paintings I throw away. I have paintings I go back to. Um, but I think they have life lessons in there. You know, learn how to accept it with a positive ab- attitude and move on mm. and keep going. Mm. And that's where persistence and flexibility for artists, I mean, that's one of the traits that we have innately so it it can it can be hard and then you have to put it out there Mm. for everyone to judge and everybody has an opinion nowadays they all do and they're going to tell you what it is and then you have to be willing to accept that and so criticism comes in a big part for art because We've worked so hard. We put our all into it. And mm. now we're showing it to everybody and we're asking you to judge it. Mm. And you might, it might not be your cup of tea. Sure. The visual message might be lost on you or it's not necessary for you. And then you can sustain a lot of ego damage there from mm. someone saying it's, it's not very good mm. or well, I just don't like it. Right. And it can be very hurtful. So I think you have to be brave. You have to be courageous. You have to be persistent. And you have to have a little bit of self-awareness of what you can handle. But most of all, you can't stop. You just have to keep going. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that is, it's hard, I, I think, for, for most of us that, you know, I, I, you know, I find great pleasure and uh, some artistry. Uh, I don't know that other people would say that about my writing. Um, yes. You know, I'm, a, I'm an avid writer and reader and, and uh, find a great deal of satisfaction. And there's emotional connections between, you know, things that I write. I write a lot of things that people never read. <laughs> Obviously, I enjoy the process of it, poetry right. and short, you know, short stories that, you know, someone will find someday. But, uh, you know, that, that connection and the, and the pain sometimes of going through the editorial process mm-hmm. with someone who, who, who can tear it up, tear it to shreds. I think my my dissertation chair said the first draft of my uh, my dissertation was mind numbing, so <laughs> <laughs> that was hard to take. But you know, it's and I think that that's what inspires or engenders at least really high quality uh, work products. If it's your writing or your singing or your artistic modes and mediums of expression, is that your your emotional connection to it drives yeah. that improvement and that. It's a double-edged sword. You do sort of fall victim of kind of ego bruising when you go through the process. So, you know, sort of coaching students through that and what it is to take good. Not all uh, criticism is the same, right? That's true. Some is constructive. Some is just meant to just 
tear you down. That's true. And one of the things I try to teach my students is you can look at a painting and say, gosh, I just, I hate that. Mm. And that's one way to criticize. Or you could say, well, the color theory is a little bit off. It kind of mm. reminds me of Dr. Cousin's office <laughs> with that red. Um, and it's just not pleasing to me. So <laughs> I'm just poking no, fun. I actually a, like it. It's a beautiful like it. yeah, burgundy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, strong, and powerful. Right. But, you know, for somebody, it could be overpowering. and Because everybody's going to have different mm. um, perceptions. And, and so you can learn how to say it in a way that's respectful. Mm. Because the Renaissance people, they wanted critiques. They... They would get together. No one made them do it. And so I had students that absolutely walked out of my class because they were not going to participate in a critique. And mm. they're like, they're like, do I have to be here? And I said, well, no, you don't. Yeah. And they're like, really? I don't? No. Right. It's your life. You can choose. But every choice has a consequence. And if you don't participate in this critique, you're going to get a zero. <laughs> well, that's not fair. It's like it's very fair. Yeah. You know, you could do whatever you want in life. But right now, in this moment, you know, you can either choose to do the critique or walk away. Mm. It's hard. Mm. It's mm -hmm. hard. I get that. But you're going to be better for it. Mm -hmm. and if you change your mind, you change your perception, and you say, when I leave this, I'll never make those mistakes again, and I'll know mm. my weaknesses, mm. then you you learn more. You're stronger for it. And, and things just kind of fall into place better how for you, how you want it to be. But how do you how do you do that and and encourage students to be brave and be bold uh, in in their creativity and taking sort of leaps? I, well, in my class they can fail without failing. Hmm. So I encourage them to take chances. I'm like, okay, you're like, I want to try this, but I don't think it's going to turn out good and then it's going to affect my grade. I'm like, show me your learning. That's what I want to see. Show me that you're experimenting experimenting with the medium. And even if it comes out as something that you're displeased with, you still have a painting that you learned from, and that is significant. Because mm. everybody that you meet in life has failed if they're a success, mm. right? They've failed many times. It's, it's how they handle it. And as artists, we have to handle it very well. Mm. We, we have to listen to you say that our stuff is, is ugly. Yeah. And that's hurtful. Yeah. And one of, one of my experiences with a client, I had a very nice man. He was dressed to the T's, and he came in, and I, and I had several brochures for him. And he said, well, these are crap. <laughs> I was so offended and hurt. And he said, well... I said, pick one, and from there we'll tweak it. We'll make it better. And he said, well, I like this. I like this. I was like, no, sir, they're crap. Mm. Remember. <laughs> so we're just going to pick one to go with. So there's that pettiness that came out. What, Heather? Petty? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was that pettiness for it. But what I took away from it is that, yes, okay, I was focusing on the wrong thing. You know, he actually liked a little bit of all of them. I just had to bring the idea together. Mm. And so I took the bits and pieces that he likes and I made something way better. Mm. And I just didn't give myself, I, I guess I didn't believe in myself enough at that moment to know that 
I'm going to give them something better. Now I have the confidence. You know, I can show you four brochures and you don't like any of them. That's okay because we're going to get there. Mm. We're going to see what you want and be able to deliver. Um, but that comes with experience. And the students are so vulnerable and naive at this moment that they might not have the articulation or the, I guess, the cognitive skills to know that we're going to get there. Well, and I think that's interesting. So so uh, art intended for sort of, uh, say, industrial purposes or, right. or, or to be used uh, as part of a kind of a work product out in the marketplace uh, versus, you know, what is what is intended for, uh, you know, uncompensated enjoyment, right? Right. Right. Potentially, I mean, I, I think uh, big difference. Yeah, and and in terms of just how you're shaping your artistic message with a client, mm-hmm. right? And something that you might come up with, the end product might be something that you can consider, you know, unartistic, right? Uh, or or certainly not an expression of your best abilities, right? And self, and that's that in and of itself is a valuable experience and and a more uh, clinical kind of expression of your artistic sensibilities, one that's divorced from that, that kind of emotional yeah. component that makes it, that, that makes you, you know, sort of proficient in your craft. It's a, it's a difficult thing to sort of understand from a, from a non-artist yeah. perspective. And it's easy to say and talk yeah. about, it's hard to put in action. Mm-hmm. It really is. But the, that's where the persistence of an artist comes in. Um, and you just, you keep going. If you're passionate, mm it will work out for you mm-hmm. if you don't give up it'll work you can you can work that out mm-hmm. and a lot of problem solving sure yeah well so many things uh you know uh in our lives touch art and are touched by art and it's that appreciation of of art uh, in the main the artistic process in general um and uh you know just uh you know how we how we move in our shape and, and and shape art that is just so powerful and meaningful and, and I thank you so much for your time today. Excellent conversation. Thank you for having As me. As usual, thanks so much, and uh, thank you all for watching. We'll see you next time. Thank you.